Hi, and welcome to Eat My Words, a twice-monthly Arizona Highways podcast that celebrates Arizona's unique culinary culture. I'm your host, Kelly Vaughn. For this episode of Eat My Words, I'm pleased to introduce Pavle Milik of Los Milik Winery in Elgin, Arizona. Pavle, welcome. No, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Um, you know, you've been the be- the beverage director and the co-owner of F&B Restaurant in Scottsdale for a long time now. Um, I'm wondering how that role helped to inform your decision to start a winery. Um, well, when we opened up F&B in 2009, um, my business partner, Charlene, the chef, has always sort of given a tip of the hat to our backyard by way of um, showcasing what happens here in the state in terms of agriculture and its bounty. And I think it was about maybe a month after we opened up that I don't even remember what the catalyst was, but I, uh, uh, a, a question entered my mind pertaining to, I wonder if there's you know, enough good quality wine in Arizona, which was almost a backhanded compliment or question um, to author a list and uh, to, to rewind back one chapter while I was the GM at Monte Lucia at Prado. Uh, I did a couple of winemaker dinners with Sam Pillsbury. And I remember drinking those wines and thinking in terms of provenance and in terms of quality, I was quite, um, I was quite impressed. And I had just moved back from Napa Valley and I had separation anxiety uh, from wine country and being an out of the closet winemaker groupie. I was really excited to find out what was happening here in the state. Now, fast forward to FMB. The idea was to bridge the gap between the food and wine in terms of provenance, in terms of locality. So um, basically what, and again, we weren't necessarily reinventing the wheel. It was an issue of, um, we are a restaurant that is located in Arizona. Uh, we are using mostly all Arizona products on the food side, uh, but we haven't really showcased what's happening with the wine world in Arizona. So we wanted to create a restaurant that was sort of a reflection of the state. So when people ask me what F&B is all about, I normally tell them that that little joint is a pretty clear and sharp lens through which you can experience Arizona's agriculture on real time. Meaning you're never gonna see a a kiwi in our menu, just it makes no sense, nor are you gonna see a peach cobbler in December, right? right? You're gonna see it in the summer. So the the point of entry to Arizona wine was even before I moved uh, to Napa and uh, I had had Ken Callaghan's wines before and I was really impressed and I thought they were delicious, but obviously I moved to Napa Valley and I, uh, you know, quickly forgot about Arizona wine. So when I came back and I was really introduced by way of Sam Pillsbury to the scene, I started doing some research and development, meaning I called out to, you know, as many local producers uh, to the restaurant to do what we call in our world R&D or research and development. And I had enough wine from Arizona that I thought we should definitely showcase the wine. And I remember before I even authored the list, um, I did a little exercise at the restaurant in which I would give a glass of wine to a table, not tell them what it is. I would just tell them, let's cogitate over this wine. If you can guess either provenance or grape varietal, I would buy you a dessert or what have you. Long story short, after like four days of doing that, nobody guessed. But the most important question was, after we played the game, I said, will you order this again? Did you like it? And everybody said yes. Mm -hmm. Um, 
so that was sort of the impetus or the little push that I needed um, to validate my instincts for lack of a better word. So that was the point of entry. Obviously, showcasing Arizona wine at the restaurant led me to meet a lot of producers from the state, which then led me to form closer relationships with some of the winemakers. And um, I think it was about seven years ago, I asked Todd, hey, how much does it cost to, to buy a barrel? And that's really how it started. Um, but, but the winery, the, the idea of being in the wine world uh, had been in gestation since my days in Napa Valley in 2004. So you mentioned, you know, Arizona's agricultural bounty and you and I understand that. And many people who live in Arizona now have an understanding of that. But for people from out of state, that's a little bit counterintuitive, isn't it? Because so many people see Arizona as just being you know, this land of dust and desert and cowboys, and they can't really fathom wine grapes growing here, let alone all of the other things Arizona produces. So, you know, what do you think it is about the climate of southeastern Arizona in particular, um, where Elgin is and Wilcox and some of the other grape producing regions? What is it about that climate and that soil that is conducive to growing grapes? Well, I think the question was the answer. Uh, so what, um, what makes it possible obviously is this common thread uh, of high, high elevation, right? So I think uh, on average Wilcox uh, is located at about 43 to 4,400 feet in elevation. Uh, for example, here at Los Milics, at the entrance of the vineyard, we're at 4,900 feet in elevation. At the top of the vineyard, we're at 5,000. Um, we uh, have planted on sandy loam soils. So we obviously have uh, soils that are conducive to grow grapevines. And, but this started even way back when with Dr. Uh, Gorton Dutt from the uh, Southwest, excuse me, from um, the hydrochemistry professor from uh, U of A, who led what they called the Four Corners Development uh, Study which um, basically identified locations in the four corner states, planted vines, waited the three years to see yield, then bottled some wines. Anyways, at the end of the day, Sonoita was rendered the most suitable to grow grapevines. So it did start as, a, as an initiative from Congress to subsidize uh, rural areas where you can identify low water usage crops uh, in the desert, obviously here. And uh, a grapevine, you know, the grapevine was the one that was one of those candidates and it bowed really well here. Um, you mentioned when we were chatting last week that you're gearing up for the harvest. Um, can you talk our listeners through that process? How many people are involved approximately? How many pounds or tons of grapes you'll be picking? Okay. Um, well, last year, my wife and I processed 36 tons or around 2,300 cases, give or take. Wow. Uh, this year, the Sonoita Vineyard is going on what we call the viticulture third leaf or three years old, which means we are getting a, a mitigated yield, but we're getting some grapes here at the estate vineyard. We purchased a vineyard in 2018 in Elfrida that belonged to Juan Alba, who is Tad and Kelly Bostock's uh, vineyard manager. And from there, we're expecting at least 30 plus plus tons. And we have a relationship with a grower, which looks like we're going to be getting about 21, 22 tons from him. So we're expecting to double 
nearly double what we did last year. It is only my wife and I again, and we do have a gentleman that works for us, Stuart, helping us, you know, with tastings right now. So he is, he is our, uh, our wingman this season. And there's, you know, there's plenty of people that, you know, offer to come and help. But um, yeah, for the most part, the, the, the sort of the, the team is three people. Um, and things that we're doing in preparation, uh, my wife and Stuart are outside washing uh, the fruit picking bins. We're taking out all the tanks. Uh, today, we're moving all of the equipment to the crush pad, like the elevator, the destemmer, and the press. And we're going to crank everything up before, uh, before we get fruit in. We just took samples last week. And we're at around 15 bricks for the stuff that we need for rosé, which normally we pick between 19 to 22 bricks or sugar. Because uh, that's a sugar terminology for bricks. Um, and just basically just cleaning up the whole winery and making sure that we're ready. Uh, stretching a lot, meditating, journaling, <laughs> you name it. <laughs> Making sure that you're rested for the whole process. Yeah, it's just, I mean, you, you can equate the harvest, and I mean this kind of jokingly, but it's kind of a hurricane. And the hours are, mind you, it only happens like for two months out of the year, but you work from anywhere between five to six o'clock in the morning until midnight every day. And you've, you mentioned your wife, um, who's obviously heavily involved in the process in the winery. And correct me if I'm wrong, but your children have played a role both at FNB and at the winery. How involved are they in, in what you're doing and learning about the business? Well, my oldest, who got bit by the wine bug, um, obviously worked with us at FNB for about four years. Then she left uh, for Flagstaff. She just moved back to the Phoenix metro area. And I just got off the phone with her yesterday. And she's like, I got three days off. When I have days off, I'm going to come down and help. So she will be involved in this year's harvest whenever she can. Uh, my little guys, Oliver is 14, Lorenzo is 12, and Renato is 11. They have school. I mean, they're going back to school. And they have, and I should give them credit, facial expressions. They have begrudgingly helped me like with bottling and stuff like that. They have not verbally complained, but you can tell like, seriously, we got to do this. Uh, so my hope is that maybe in 15 years, they'll look back at those times fondly. Right. Yeah, it's always difficult when they're that age. Uh -huh. uh, do you have a, a varietal or a, a grape that you feel is your strongest? In terms of, well, let's, let, let me frame that answer through the lens of what does well. Okay. Um, in Elfrida, uh, Graciano, which is normally a grape varietal that is found in Rioja, um, it plays a small role in those Tempranillo-based wines as giving Tempranillo a little color, a little backbone, a little chutzpah, if you will. Uh, Tempranillo in, in and of itself is already by nature, uh, you know, a grippy grape, you know, tanniky. Uh, Graciano kind of rounds it out and gives it beautiful color, or, or it adds depth to the color. Uh, that, that specific grapevine um, is not only vigorous, but it's not needy um, in terms of, uh, like, you don't have to baby it, let's say, like you do, you know, Tempranillo, sometimes you do have to baby it in relation to, you know, like the bricks will continue to go up and then pH or sorry, the pH will continue to go up before you pick it and the pH will plateau at a certain point where you don't want it. And then you have to start, you know, becoming very religious, 
in hopes that this thing, you know, will, will move its way. But no, Graciano is one of the ones that have performed the best in terms of its vigor and in terms of yield. And we've had a fairly substantial monsoon season so far. How, how has that affected your work down there? So one of the things that you don't want during harvest is a lot of precipitation, right? It creates an environment where, you know, weeds will grow much quicker, which attracts certain, you know, pesky creatures. Um, also, if you rains too much in a row, um, you want your clusters to dry up, right? Uh, and then in some more extreme cases, you do have to, for example, like spray things that are similar to hydrogen peroxide to try to sort of sterilize the grapes so you don't have things like bunch rot. And when you have grape clusters that come into the cellar infected with bunch rot, it smells like kombucha and it transfers to the wine. So uh, you have to be very aware of, of, of the rain patterns, when they're coming, when to pick. Uh, but yeah, we don't, thankfully in Sonoita, we pick a little bit later. So almost always we, we get out of the monsoon weeds, theoretically. Uh, but in Elfrida, it's, it's, it's trickier to, to, to do that dance. Where can our listeners find your wines? Right now, we're serving them at FMB. Uh, Tom Kaufman is serving them at the living room in DC Ranch. Uh, Tracy, Dempsey, and Chuck are going to serve them at ODB. Um, Mafan from Mingling Grace is also going to serve them there. You're going to be able to find them on Terminal, terminal 4. Uh, in the international wing. They're going to be uh, served at the Cabo Chao restaurant. Uh, let's see, where else? Oh, here at the, at the tasting room. So we did, we did set up a little grassroots uh, crush, what I call a crush pad tastings. Uh, so we moved everything to the west side of the winery because we need all the space for harvest. So you can definitely come on down and we're going to announce a wine club in about two, three weeks. Fantastic. Pablo Milik, thank you for joining me. It was my pleasure, dear. Bye-bye. Don't want to miss an episode? Be sure to subscribe. For more information about Los Meelik Winery, visit losmeelikwinery.com. For more information about Arizona Highways, visit arizonahighways.com. Until next time, eat my words.